God, we want to thank you for the celebrations that we could have as a community together. And we thank you that, um, for life and we thank you for the love that you have and, and the excitement that you have and just the ups and downs in lives, Lord. And, and I continue to pray that you would bless us as a church family, bless our hearts. Um, Lord, I pray that we would always look to you for the desire of our hearts and that you would be gracious to give those desires to us. Uh, we thank you. We come before you in the name of Jesus. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. First John 4, verses 16 and 17. And we know, and, and so we know, and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Wouldn't it be really nice if holiness just happened? Like, like, like we said yes to Jesus and then all of a sudden the beam of light came from heaven and you heard the angels, and maybe there was a little glitter in the light to add effect, and, and it just bathed you, and you walked, you arrived to this place of, of holiness. It was just, whoa, and here we are. I'm holy. And, and you didn't need any more work. All of the stuff that kind of you struggle with, it was all done. And so we can check the holiness check off the list. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if that's the way that it happens? Now, I'm going to make a very rather large assumption. And I know that, you know, I know that we shouldn't assume because when you assume you, well, you just shouldn't assume. And, and so um, I'm going to make the assumption that holiness doesn't just happen. And that we have to constantly be aware of our spiritual journey. We have to be constantly pressing in to the spiritual disciplines so that we can be intimately um, drawn into the life God would have for us. We should be actively not avoiding the issues, the things in our life. We have to not avoid our sin, but look at it right in its face and repent from it so that we can be healed from it. Holiness just doesn't happen. In James, his letter, he writes about this little evil. It's called the tongue. And, and it says, he, he describes it as a world of evil among the parts of the body. It's, it's, a, it's full of deadly poison. It's a restless evil. And he, and he talks about us having to learn, I do believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have some responsibility in that. We need to learn to control the tongue. Wouldn't it be nice if holiness just happened. But it doesn't just happen. Now, as we continue in John's letter, he's going to be, he's going to continue to describe this idea of, and then the discipline of loving the brothers and the sisters. And I will say this, as I've looked through the rest of chapter 14, um, 14, chapter four in John's letter, we're not going to spend too much more time in it. I think we're going to jump into chapter five because maybe next week, because it talks about, um, there is no fear in love. And so I think there's some weighty stuff that we can unpack in that. But as far as loving the brothers and sisters, if you haven't got that by now, I don't know what to tell you. Go find another church. I, 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 no, I don't mean that. But I mean, um, you know, I just don't know what to, what to say. 
We are called to this place of loving the brothers and the sisters, and he wants us to be diligent in it because it's part of the gospel. It's a foundational part of the gospel. And now he's going to move into this nuance of that, that we would, um, whoever lives in love. And now there's a consequence. There's always consequences to our actions. And this idea of living in, into love or live in love, it's, it's, to live is it's part of, um, the, the, we're doing something, we're living, there's action on our part. There's always consequences to our actions. And we always have to remember that. And if there are consequences to our actions, then there are consequences also to our inaction. Now, we, I, you... I think culturally, we have this tendency to live for the moment. And there's a lot of good that can come from living for the moment or living in the moment. Uh, to be fully present with, when, when you're involved in something, when you're home. I remember years ago, um, Sandy kind of yelled at me because I would come home from, from work, from the office, and I would be home but I wouldn't be home. You, you know, you ever struggle with that? Your mind is a thousand miles elsewhere and people are talking to you and you have no idea what they're saying. Or have you ever been driving down the road and then come to and realize, how did I get here without alcohol? I, I mean, have you ever had that experience? It's about, so, so there's something good about being present in the moment. But the problem with that, the flip side, the danger of that is that life can become this, this unconnected series of separate events. And so you just live for this very single moment now and you forget everything in the back and you forget everything that may be in the front. But we have to understand and realize that everything in our life is joined together. Everything in our life is interconnected. In fact, ancient rabbis used to teach that we are the sum of all of our yesterdays. That means the people that we are today, the person that you are today, didn't just happen in a vacuum. It didn't just happen because that's how you woke up this morning. Everything that you've experienced in your life has made you to be the person that you are today. And so nothing in our lives is a standalone event. Everything is interrelated. Our lives are a continuous whole and everything affects everything and everything that's affecting everything is affecting everything else. You kind of understand? And so as we live this journey of life, we have to be very aware of the whole thing, front to back, past, present, future. And we should be, we also should be living with this awareness of eternity and how our actions, how our lives have consequences in an internal aspect, eternal aspect, and consequences beyond ourselves, things that we may never see or fully realize. And John here, he's writing about the consequence of living in love. And I know it sounds, to, to me, it sounds a little Hallmark-esque there, you know, live in love, and you can go on with the poem after that. But, but it really is the final proof that God lives in us and we live in God. And so there's a lot of weight to that first verse, to verse 16. There's, there's a lot in there because it is a proof that if we live in love, if our life is defined by how we love the brothers and sisters, then we could be assured that God lives in us and we live in him. 
Now, in our natural state, the Bible describes humanity not in a very nice way. It, it doesn't paint a very rosy picture. In fact, it seems that we're kind of a brutal, stubborn, stiff-necked bunch, and our hearts are filled with darkness. And so the Bible really doesn't pull many punches there in, in describing the natural person. And so that nature lives in each one of us. And it may be painful to face that reality. In fact, many in our culture don't like to face that reality. They want to focus on what's good in us. And they want to build on what's good. And that's why we have such uh, these, these self-help gurus that want to help us just, just focus in on, on, on the very little good things that are in us. And we can build those up and then we can live a happier, healthier life. But what we have found, and I think if you just watch five minutes of the news, that that whole self-help thing or focusing on the good really doesn't have any real lasting effect on a global scale. Because we've talked about this over and again, the world seems to be a broken place. It's, it's, it's kind of messed up. And so to love the way the Bible calls us to love, it's really not part of our own natural nature. To, to love the way the Bible calls us to love is really a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a transformation thing. And so the Bible calls us to live this life in love. And when people are living this life in love, they live in love, then God lives in them, and, and we live in God, or they live in God. And when we have a whole community that has made that commitment to live in love, that has made that commitment to follow Jesus, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, that they would invite God to live in them, that they would also be living in God, then we have an entire community that is living in love, and God is in the community, and the community community is in God. And do you see how heavy and thick and weighty the presence of the Lord can be with the people that are willing to live into the scriptures for what it has for us? The beauty I find in, in, in the Bible is that if we let it, it can search us. It could, it could read us. And if we let it, it can really enlighten our heart and soul, and we can begin to examine ourselves. And so, in, in, this, in verse 16, it really doesn't matter what you call yourself. It really doesn't matter your theology. It really doesn't matter if you, you subscribe to the right doctrines. If you do not live in love, then God does not live in you, and you don't live in Him. It's, it's, it's a proof. It's a litmus test. It's, it's the standard. And this is how we know. This is how we know that, that God is in us, that we are loving the brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter just what the words that you use, because remember, love is an action. It's, it's a commitment to live, live this thing out. Love has to create. Love has to express itself. It's just the nature of love. And we see that, that God is love. And what does God do? He expresses himself. He created out of that place. Now, this is going to be the last time John in this letter is going to use this whole idea of, of living in God and God living, living in us. And he's gone uh, through great pains to try to describe a very mystical relationship that we have that's really, we really can't fully understand it. We try our best to understand it. We try our best to explain it. But, but I think at t we just kind of like scratch the surface of this whole thing, God in us, we're in God. I know that many times we want to dissect that and figure it out, but... That's the beauty of God. And some days we're just not going to quite get there. But it's a thing that only God can do and that God is doing. God is doing in us through Jesus Christ. God ignites this spark of holiness in us 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to get a taste of his view on life and existence and what it means to be and what it means to live. And then the power of the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and we start to press into, we have a responsibility to press into those things of holiness and allow ourselves, surrender ourselves to be transformed by that interior power. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Again, we see the poetry of, of John's writing here. I kind of like what he's saying is that those who live in love, they find their home in God. I have a home. I live in my home. I spend time in my home. I like to spend time in my home. I'm the most me when I'm in my home. And that's why many of you probably still pray for Sandy. And, and, and so when I'm in my home, this is where I, I do very personal things in my home. In my home is really the only place that I can run around in my skivvies because it's, it's my home. It, that's not TMI. You all know you do it, so stop. And, and, and so, and so as, as we live in home, there's a comfort level. There's a peace there. There's a security that we have there. I sleep there. I harass my children there. It's, 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 it's my home. And, and what John is saying here, that those who live in love have made God their home. And God has made himself, his home, in them. And there's this, there's this something about that where you're comfortable with that and you want to go to that and you want to spend time there. It's, it's that place where you just want to be. And, and, and it's where you are yourself the most in the presence of God. When God is your home, you have this outlook on life that's God-sized and God-flavored and, and God-colored. And God is the foundation of that. And there's something continually drawing you home. When I'm out and about and, and when I travel, when I come home, I mean, I want to be home. Like I have to take Tylenol PM the first time I sleep out because I can never sleep in a strange bed. It doesn't matter how comfortable it is because it's not mine. It's not my home. And so this is what John is saying, that those who live in love live in this place that God is their home. And I look forward to coming home. And so for the Christian, we should always look forward to bringing our heart and our mind back to the Lord. Back to him. The world is full of things that's going to keep us from God. That's going to vie for our attention. But we always must return there and live there. Allow his influences, his presence to change us. When you, when you live in this love, you become aware that God is living in you and you're living in him. And that begins to change everything. He inhabits us. He empowers us. He awakens us. It's the work of the Lord, the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is how love is made complete. Another way to say that, this is how love has been perfected. How it's been perfected or completed in us. Again, the beauty of the gospel here. God's salvation at work through Jesus Christ in the people of God. Jesus, God sends Jesus into the world. And we can ask the question, why? And it's not just to get us to heaven. 
It's not just to make sure that, that our sins are forgiven and we can get ourselves into heaven. It goes much deeper than that. The cross is not just about getting into heaven. The cross is not just about our sins being forgiven. The ultimate plan, desire of the Lord through Jesus Christ is to, for, to have a people that will become like Jesus. That's what uh, Titus talks, or the letter to Titus talks about in chapter 2, that he is purifying a people of his very own. Jesus came so that we can live like him here on earth. Are you tracking with that? It's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about your sins forgiven. It's about here. It's also about here and now that we can live a life as the life that Jesus lived here. Salvation's not just about sinning. It's not just about being freed or or not guilty from your sin. It really comes down to the question or or the the idea of, of sanctification, We are saved so that we can be sanctified. And that means to become like Jesus. And so the question we have to ask, are we living a life that reflects the life that Jesus lived? I mean, we always have to come to that question. We always have to wrestle with that question. Every single day, we have to wrestle with that question. Am I living the life that Jesus lived? And see, if you just kind of make it all about getting to heaven and yeah, I'm in, it can become a very self-absorbed faith and it can leave your heart completely out of the process. And God wants the heart. God wants to transform your heart. And so when you see, when you see the transformation that's taking place, when you know that it's about us becoming like Christ, you can realize that we fall short. That we fall short, but yet we can still walk humbly before our God because of the work of Christ. We can know who he is and who we are not. Within this this humble posture of sanctification, we become aware of our own crabbiness and our own temper and our own harshness and our own lack of love. Not just on the outside, but we see the recess in our hearts that's causing those things to happen. And we can surrender those things to God and allow him to transform those, those things. Jesus came so that we can live a life, the life that Jesus lived. And so, church, if our concern is not about how we live our lives loving each other, then really we're just playing for the JV team right now. I mean, when you first become, when when people first become Christian, it's about the forgiveness. It's about uh, being freed from bondage and the brokenness. And those are all very amazing, grace-filled, glorious things. But it has to move beyond that. As we grow in our relationship, as we mature in our relationship with Christ, then we want to grow in our love, not only for him, but for the brothers and the sisters, not only for the brothers and the sisters, dare I say, to love the world, not to love it and and, and become part of it, but to love it into the kingdom of God. These are the things that we're called to. This is what it means to walk in a sense of maturity. So it's not just about your fire insurance. It's not just about you staying out of hell. It's about us, the church, being the church, living as Jesus lived today, in this very moment, right now. In fact, you know, let's take a minute. Why don't you hug the person next to you as long as you don't know them? Come on, do it. Be, be a little bit of Jesus to each other right now. Come on. If you got to get up, get up. See, we got men hugs back there. 
We got Don coming over here. Good job, bro. Thanks, man. Wait, wait, that's not a good hug. What? There you well, go. That's a hug. Oh, crap. <laughs> See? Be Jesus. Be Jesus every moment, every day. That's, that's why he's come. So that we can love on each other. Now, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a project. And it, I'm just making this up as I go now. I got like a couple of pages. So. Um, between today and next Sunday, I want you to find somebody random. Don't get arrested or anything like that. And offer a kind word to them. Just out of the blue. Maybe you would listen to the Holy Spirit within you. And offer somebody, dare I say, you hug them. That's where you, got, you, you don't want to get arrested. <laughs> Be Jesus to someone. Because that's why he came, to empower us to be Jesus. To live a life of love. And, it's all, and, and as he writes this, it's all about so that we can have confidence on that day of judgment. Now, we don't like judgment in the church. We don't like to talk about judgment. Judgment is not one of the feel-good things. Um, it's not politically correct to talk about judgment, or at least it's not politically correct for a Christian to talk about judgment in the context of, of God. And it's not really, it doesn't put lots of money in the joy box or anything like that. But as we look at the Bible... This idea of God's judgment runs from front to back and and everything in between. And so it's worth paying attention to what John is getting at here. Judgment is not something that's figurative. Judgment is not something you get to do at the end of your life and and kind of judge yourself. Judgment is not just about or, or it doesn't just describe death. Now, yes, when when once we die, the scriptures teach our fate is sealed we don't get a second chance. And, and I know that, that some have spoken into that, and, and I would stand to disagree with it. We, there is no second chance after we die. The case has been closed, and so death is a very serious matter. It's a place where we can't do anything about anything anymore. But judgment is not death. Judgment is that thing in the Bible that it speaks of that is going to happen at the end of the world. When this is all done, when it's over and complete, God's judgment will reign. And so when we speak about the judgment of God, we, I like to make sure that, that we stay what, to what the Bible teaches about it. And we don't become speculative about it or we don't try to pull any um, emotional response about it. I want to stay to what the scripture teaches about God's judgments. And what we know is that it's going to be a very public event. It's going to be the final event in human history as we know human history to be. And all of the descriptions in the Bible about this day, it seems like it's this It's a very formal reality that's going to take place. And everyone is going to see it. Even the angels are going to witness God's judgment on the last day. And it has this flavor of being something um, legal. Because we'll see that God sits on the throne. And the books are open. And sentences are handed out. And for some... 
for some on that day, it's going to be a horrifying day. It's going to be horrible. But for others, it's going to be a glorious day. The scriptures also teach about who will judge. Steve, can we put some verses up? John chapter 5, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. He's talking about Jesus. The next verse. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Next verse. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And one more. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is all talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one with with the power, the son of God, and he will judge. These are the things that we know for sure, according to the scripture. And let's talk briefly about who will be judged. Well, we can look in, um, in the book of Jude, Jude's letter, and in 1 Corinthians, that even the fallen angels will be judged. And I will tell you, it's not going to end well for them on that day. And yes, the world may be under the control right now of the evil one, but it doesn't end up like that. God wins. God wins. And they will be judged. But it goes even further than that. That every human being that has ever lived, will ever live, will stand before the judgment throne of God. All of us. The unbeliever, the unjust, the ungodly, and the believers. We will come before the throne of the judgment seat of God. Second Corinthians, Steve. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That verse should cause us all to pause a little bit. That we will be before the throne, the judgment of Christ. No one escapes it. And so what is the standard of our judgments? If we go to Romans chapter 2, That's where we can begin to unpack and understand that. And there's so much in there that I just can't get into. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes. In Romans chapter 2, we see that the Gentiles will be judged by the law that may be written on their hearts. That the light that is in their heart, they will be judged. And for, uh, for the Jewish people, they have put themselves under the law. And it says that they will be judged by the law. And for the follower of Jesus, we will be judged by the gospel we claim to believe. And the unrighteous and the ungodly will also stand before in judgment before the Lord. And this is something that we just can't fully understand or or it's, it's one of those mysteries of God. But there seems to be different degrees of judgment and different degrees of reward. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is telling a parable. And in the parable, he says, some, some will be beaten with many blows some will be beaten with a few i'm hoping for a few john brings this idea of judgment up not to scare us 
not to instill fear in us. Remember, he's talking to the church. He's talking to people who follow Jesus Christ, who are professing Christ in their lives, who are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so he is not bringing this to, to scare us or to, to, to instill fear in us though I I would say that it should cause us at some points in our journey to pause. But he is speaking about this so that we can stand before the throne of God with a boldness and an assurance and without fear. Without fear, we can stand before the throne and the judgment seat of God. That if we live in love and we are, because we live in love, because we love the brothers and the sisters, then God lives in me, I live in him, and I can look at Christ on the judgment seat eye to eye and not be afraid. And not be afraid. I don't have to fear. All of our actions have consequences. They're all important. They're all connected. But because of the grace and the mercy that we receive through Jesus Christ, church, we've been forgiven. And when we live in love, we are assured that God lives in us and we live in him. And we, we can be assured that on that day, we have nothing to fear. That day when the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God will be on display for the entire world to see, we don't have to fear. We do not have to fear. We can face that day with, dare I say, excitement. To hear those words, well done. Well done. Enter into my rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so... To live a life in love. To live a life where God lives in me and I live in him. Let's commit to applying the grace and the peace and the love of Jesus Christ. Not only to our own lives, because it has to start there. If you are not graceful with yourself, if you're not merciful with yourself, if you don't love yourself, you cannot love the brothers and the sisters. If you don't think you're worthy of love, eyes up here. If you don't think you're worthy of love, you're wrong. Christ did not die because Christ did die because you're unworthy and now your unworthiness has become worthy because of the blood of Christ. And we, the church, who are filled with people who are loving each other because we live in God and God lives in us, we, the church, will stand on that day united, fearless, joyful, invited into the eternity that will be the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that this truth will be resounding in our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that we would take the challenge to speak words of love and encouragement this week to someone and even, even throw out a hug and that they would see that maybe for that one person, that one moment, that someone does care, that someone does love them. Lord, thank you for this community and the celebrations that we were able to take part in today. We love you. We stand before you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
I love you guys. I will see you next week.